You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. I love reading. I love reading stories and accounts written by entrepreneurs. You know, I'm a kid that grew up in North Dakota. Here's some things I know for sure. And maybe some people, especially in Washington, D.C., maybe they don't kind of get this. We're not for farmers. You better learn how to grow your own crops, raise cattle, whatever it is, because there won't be anything in the grocery store if we're not for farmers. Same thing could be said about entrepreneurs. Almost everything. Unless you're a minimalist like Ted Kaczynski, who lived in a little shed in the mountains of Montana. If it weren't for entrepreneurs, stop and think for a minute what your life would be like. I I don't care what it is. Things we all take for granted were it not for entrepreneurs. Almost none of that would be available to us. God bless farmers and God bless entrepreneurs. Well, I recently read a book which has nothing to do with farming, but it's all about entrepreneurs. And here's how I'm going to introduce my guests. First of all, I'm in a bookstore. I'm I'm actually going to see Bruce Jovic, who has written about more entrepreneurs based out of the state of North Dakota than anybody. He'll be on the podcast soon. I'm actually in a bookstore waiting to buy his newest book. And this cover absolutely distracts me from talking to Bruce, and I have to get this book first. And here is the introduction. Let me start by saying that I am not an advocate for foul language, although I am also not a Boy Scout. My choice of book title was to convey those moments in life, whether it be in business or day-to-day, where we find ourselves faced with this similar sentiment. And so now I'm going to say, Rod Marchand, it is great to see you. Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me on today. So I'm going to let you finish that paragraph. What's the actual title of the book? Uh, am I allowed to say it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, yeah, you, and you can you can edit it, you know, on the spot if you like, however you want to say it. Sure. Well, it's uh, titled "Man Blank," yes. <laughs> and, it's and it starts with an F. F. Yeah, it starts yeah. with an so F. Everybody F-bomb. gets the idea. Yeah, that cover. I, you know, how could you not pick that book up if you're in a bookstore <laughs> and you see that? And then the rest of the title is "The Honest Reality of Entrepreneurship." Correct. I was hooked. I didn't have to open it up, which I normally do, and look at the table of contents. That book said, got to take it home. Sure. Thanks for writing it, by the way. It's 31 chapters, 157 pages, so it's a page turner. Yeah. And it's all about life lessons. Is that a fair statement? I I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it was designed to inspire uh, and just kind of encourage, you know, no matter what you're doing, whether it's you know, in a position in a particular corporate environment, or just, you know, uh, well, just being at home and just trying to run private enterprise, or if you're going to venture out into a new business venture, uh, these are the things to expect. And you're not alone if you're going through them. And and that was the idea is to try and 
encourage people that though there'll be discouraging moments, uh, the reward is is much greater than the risk if you can drive it home. Yeah. And you start out the book fairly early on with your own personal discouragement. Right. Your family decided to move you from Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> I think you were eight, somewhere in that eight, area. Eight, Honolulu, yeah. Hawaii to Harvey, North Dakota. Yeah, I describe that as my first man blank moment, right? <laughs> like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> but there was a reason you were in Hawaii. Right. And that was your your dad was serving our country? Yep, serving our country in the U.S. Navy, uh, stationed at Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And had you been to Harvey before? I was born there and then immediately left. So <laughs> my memory was a little bit unclear until <laughs> we returned. Well, we have some connections there. We, sh- we shared that when we had our yeah. initial phone conversation. My, my wife's uncle had a business uh, in Harvey. I've been to Harvey a couple of times. Uh, it's a wonderful community, yeah. not too far from where I spent 37 years in Bismarck. And from Harvey, North Dakota, you've been able to create quite an enterprise that's still really a significant work in progress. But let's back up a, a little bit. When when your family moved back to Harvey and started the family business, which was uh, electronics and a repair shop. Correct. You were kind of smitten right away. You you were involved with the family business so much so that you thought at eight or nine, whatever the age was, that you should have a briefcase. <laughs> You're going to bring that up? <laughs> well, I, well I, I did the same thing. When my dad had a briefcase. I don't know if your dad did, but I just thought briefcases were kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I have three of them. But your first one wasn't actually a briefcase, right? Right. Yeah, I, I requested one from my father, but like any mom and pop startup, uh, there was no funds available. And then I was looking around the house and I noticed this backgammon game that nobody played with. So I emptied the contents and loaded up some fake business cards, a calculator and some pencils. And uh, I took that to school every day uh, of the season. So yeah, I, I kind of makeshifted. I was already creative and made my own form of briefcase. What do you, as such a young fellow, to be interested in the family? Because everybody's story is a little different. What really drew you to say, uh, I want to be involved in this? really has a lot to do uh, with being inspired by my father. You know, he, even before we moved back, you know, he was designing letterhead and business concepts and you know he was teaching me how electronics worked and I would help him solder resistors and diodes as we were building televisions together and uh, there was just something about you know retail and service uh, and and the ability to just be creative that uh, I don't know just struck a nerve with me at a, at a very early age I was always creative <laughs> Sorry about that. No, <laughs> I'm actually in the office and they're still paging. But um, so so that was kind of it. I, I just was uh, kind of a very creative kid and, um, you know, and was inspired by with what my dad was doing. And I just found a passion in it right away. I like to build things. Hmm. 
as you got involved uh, helping your dad, your, your family, your, your mom and dad, what parts of the people side of the business? Because I, you know, you address that fairly extensively in the book. Or actually, you, you address a lot of things in terms of all of those variables that make a business successful or not. Right. And, you know, you've we've all heard this many times. The most important asset we have is our people, either the people that are working with us or the customers. And I got a sense early in the book that you have real you know, great people skills, like to meet people, like to engage, like to engage them in conversation. Where does that come from? Because you had that really early on. You know, that's now that I have to give credit to my mother. Um, she was by far, you know, kind of the face of the franchise, if you will. She was always up front, uh, very, very engaging. She's easy to talk to, very friendly. Um, so, yeah, I kind of got the perfect, both what genetically and, and uh, influentially, uh, the best of both worlds. I saw my dad's drive for, you know, service and, you know, his, his first lesson to me was your word is your bond. If you say you're going to do something, you get that done. Uh, so I got that side from him. And then I guess we'd always say the gift of gab from my mom, but, uh, you know, very professional, very thorough um, and very passionate. So I don't know. I just, I was able to witness both things and uh, yeah, I, I guess it just came pretty natural to, to be able to engage with people. I'm going to jump around a little bit and not go into depth on a number of things because my goal is, I'm not sure what yours is, right? I want people to buy this book. I, I think well, this yeah. book, very helpful. <laughs> and again, it's man. And then there's an F and then there's two pieces of duct tape. And you can see something under that, and then a K, and then the honest reality of entrepreneurship, Rod F. Marshawn. Oh, by the way, forward by Kevin Harrington, original shark from Shark Tank, which I found just fascinating. Not too uh, long after you got involved working at the shop, going to school, you had kind of your own business experience, yeah. which is also something we have in common. You had a rock and roll band. Yeah. And you must have been pretty good because you were engaged by a talent agency fairly young in your life, maybe right out of high school, maybe in high school. I don't really remember. But it, it was um, – you guys were busy. You were playing quite a bit. Yeah. Um, what were some of the key business lessons you learned by being in the business of having a band and performing that you still apply today right. in your business? Yeah, well, and again, I, I, since we have that in common, I'm sure you know and understand a lot of these things. But yeah, the, the, the first thing is just about personal integrity. 
um, you know, we don't want to, like you said, divulge everything that's in the book. But it, early on, you, you start looking at your bandmates as nothing different than virtually employees working for an entity or a company. And if if you can't rely on somebody to do their particular job, well, then then the whole thing doesn't work, right? It's like even I was privileged to even be involved with. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure you do remember. I was in the Centennial Band for North Dakota, and I marched in the Rose Bowl parade. I, I didn't mention that in the book, but but, you know, so I was fortunate enough to play with like 200 piece orchestras. And so, again, anybody who's a musician understands that if there's just one person slightly out of tune or not not following the rhythm of the whole of the of the company, if you will, uh, it, it just messes everybody up. So that, that was one of the first lessons uh, from the finance side. Obviously, there's a lot of expenditure and effort that goes into, you know, just logistics. You you got to get from point A to point B and get there on time and be able to set up your equipment and start on time. And then, of course, deliver a good product and entertain the uh, the clientele and then, you know, be able to service your equipment or, you know, so there's there, there was so many aspects of, you know, people just think, I remember a lot of people would be like, oh, that must be great and so much fun. And that playing is great. And I still enjoy it today. But the business of music is just as complicated as any retail or wholesale enterprise I've ever been part of, just on a different kind of scale. Yeah. And you're still playing. I still play. I don't play uh, for money <laughs> or live anymore. I would love to. I, I've been fortunate. I've got a lot of children and, and most of them are quite talented musicians. So I've always had this dream of putting together the family band. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, right now, business just does gives me zero free time for any new enterprise. What was that? Fam- Shimaleskis? Was, the, was there a band called the Shimaleski family or something like that? It sounds familiar. Yeah, I'm older than you, so you probably are thinking, "Well, you're an old guy. I don't know what you're talking about." Um, you so you you play you, you're having kind of the time of your life. There are bad habits that we many of us can fall into when we're in the music business. Yeah, hey, you don't have to be in the music business necessarily to establish a bad habit, but it it, it happens, and. You had reached a point in your life where, okay, I had to put this on the back burner. And you went back to the family business. And you and your wife eventually uh, take it over. Yes. What was that day like? The the day that you actually actually took the business over from your father? I could have gone into detail about some of those things that happened from age eight with the you know the backgammon briefcase up until you're playing but right. that's why you have to buy the book right we're not, right. not going to go there but what was that day like for angela right your wife's name is yeah. angela yep angela. what was that like for you and angela it, uh like everything in business uh it, it was exhilarating and exciting and then you were just scared you know what at the same time um you know you you don't know what the future holds all you know is now you have an opportunity to start to you know kind of conduct things your way whether it's culture changing or policy and procedure um but you know and, and we did that at a very young age uh we were only 25 going on 26 so uh that's that's pretty early for <laughs> a couple who's just been married too um a couple of years before that so a lot of risk, but you know, again, we were excited to you know build a future together and have 
ultimately control over what that future was going to look like. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was a very exciting day, but, you know, and so for that day, there was celebration, but then of course the very next morning was back to work, you know, (laughs) here we go. Over time, you really diversified the company. And because in the beginning it was electronics and repair. Now the the Marshawn brand, Marshawn Retail Group, I think it's what it's called. I might be wrong, is is pretty diverse. How did that process of shifting the focus of the company happen for you? And where did you learn about the importance of diversity and who was kind of mentoring you on on that part of the change for you? Well, you know, again, still uh, my parents, uh, especially my dad was pretty influential because when we made the transition out of electronics, obviously he was still very active in the business. And as as we were growing um, and that market, of course, was really being attacked. This would have been in the basically 90, 91, especially when that decision was made to get out of electronics. This was the advent of the big boxes. And suddenly, you know, margins were always slim and tough in the electronics industry uh, in the first place. So that was nothing new, but they were getting even more um you know, pressured and almost in some cases, I think we were down to 10 to 12% gross profit margins and that nobody can operate it. I don't even care if you're doing major scale, that that's difficult. You know, on the backside, you know, what used to be the bread and butter of the company was really the service side. Um, but the problem was as the electronics developed and got more modernized, went from solid, you know, tube type to solid state and all these different things, things became now disposable as we definitely see today. If something breaks, you don't get it repaired anymore. You just throw it away and get something new. So, so it was really about okay. This is a pretty significant, you know, percentage of our sales revenue. If we eliminate it, we've got to replace it with something. And, and so that was kind of uh, and and that was one of the times where we looked at diversifying into floor covering. We never really got heavily involved, and that ultimately became a passion of mine. And that's what really drove my wanting. To buy the company, but but that was the the moment that I really got my first lesson in diversification and the need for being open to not only pivoting but just um, exploring new new uh, industries that you you know know nothing about and you know, just diving head in and and just getting it done. So yeah, I would have to give credit to my dad on that. Man, you you mentioned big box and at the time. You're taking the business over, and even when you were uh, involved prior to that, at that time, I was involved in the advertising business, specifically radio stations in in Bismarck. They were owned by a fellow that I knew, one of my mentors, lost him about three years ago, a guy by the name of Jim Lackaduck. And... I rem- I vividly recall the great struggle for mom and pop shops as big box stores started to come to North yeah. Dakota. And I can only imagine how much more difficult that probably was in a smaller town yeah. 
where the the big box store wasn't necessarily right in your town, but it was close enough to that bigger city where people went for vacations, for whatever it was. And that drain of potential must have been pretty unnerving uh, because that it was big box. Um, they sold the stuff for less money because they could. Um, that must have been a nervous time for you. It was, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the unique things about Harvey's uh, geographical location is we're, we're pretty distant from any major city, the closest uh, being 75 miles away and Bismarck being 100. Um, so we always had a nice trade area, but that was one of the evolutions that took place if you want to go way back into the early, even like uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, where, where these small communities thrived is that traveling to those cities was just an undertaking. It was expensive. It was all day, you know, and families just wouldn't do it. But then as again, automobiles got better, more efficient and, and speed limits increased, suddenly make, you know, again, you can, now you can run a mine out back in just a, a few hours and do your shopping. And it really, you know, I mean, fuel is still expensive, but in the scheme of things, if you can save a couple hundred dollars on a on a purchase and it costs you 50 to get there and back and you just enjoy going to McDonald's for lunch anyway you know people are much more prone to do that and so that was that was part of the retail process that was evolving is that suddenly going out of town was no longer inconvenient you know and that yeah. that really had an impact you know the the thing is similar today where online activity and yeah. i've said this a number of times i'm not a big online guy i'm not an amazon prime guy i um not that i don't once in a while buy something from amazon and use it because i can't get it here right or it's a book for example maybe your book and that's where i go to get the book because it, uh, it wasn't in the local bookstores your, your yours was of course um, but I can't imagine the exponentially different, if you will, challenges for people in any form of retail setting, whatever it is. You're dealing with now the big box and the online. Yep. And for a lot of people, they do it because it's easy. It's convenient. How do you... I'm kind of jumping ahead now. How do you evaluate that with your team, primarily your family, um, with regards to how you pivot or, or if you pivot, given the nature of, I'm going to call that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. How, how do you do that as, as a team, Rod? Well, you know, it's funny. We are jumping ahead, and that's okay. I think that's a good, uh, you know, bridge here is that you as you're aware we we did venture into the e-commerce and you know we slowly uh, first developed our own website that was e-commerce capable and then learned a hard lesson on uh, in the world wide web being finding you know doing the seo work that's required and you know even getting anywhere near the first page or or especially the top 5 is almost impossible for any small enterprise and so as we ventured into that with a lot of excitement and, and enthusiasm we quickly learned that it it just wasn't going to be viable and, and 
virtually the day we as a team decided, all right, we got to get shut this thing down and, you know, it's just not going to work for us. <laughs> the, uh, the, the affiliate that we worked with that was supplying our EDI and API catalog fees, which is basically allowing us to feature our products online. You know, that's something that we didn't have the technology to do on our own. So we hired an agency to do that. They emailed me the, the, the very morning after I sent the email to shut the account down that they just formed this new exciting partnership with Amazon. And I'm like, holy moly, it's Amazon. Uh, don't shut me down. I want to pursue this. And, and, and we did. And, um, you know, again, I won't spoil the, the whole of the story, but it, virtually within 24 hours of going live on Amazon, that was on a Friday night, basically the, the end of business. I was sitting in the hot tub having a cocktail and all of a sudden my phone pings, tells me I've got an email and it says, congratulations, you just sold an item on Amazon. I'm like, what the heck? You know, we'd spent nine months on our own website and sold like five orders in nine months. And here and in two hours, I, I, I've got my first order. Then all of a sudden, you know, another ping and another ping. I went to bed with like four orders and I called my wife. She was out of town with the children visiting family. I'm like, this is crazy. How exciting. Then I woke up the next morning and there was like 12 more orders. I thought, aha, I am the smartest guy that I know. Right. And, <laughs> and here, here, this leads us into the, the vortex of chaos, which then became Amazon. And it, uh, I won't spoil the story, but it quickly became Online or e-commerce marketing is probably even worse, uh, or or I should say business outside of the marketing. The marketing is another animal on, on its own. It's probably even worse than what we experienced with the advent of the big box. You know, all things being equal online, you no longer have services that are unique. Everybody's selling the same item. It's apples for apples, same services. And so bottom line is lowest price wins. And so everybody's racing to the bottom in terms of margin. And, you know, even, even though based on our first probably 60 days of sales projections, we were going to, we would have been on uh, pace to do a million dollars in e-commerce just in that selling. I won't say the brand name here, but that was selling a major furniture brand that was able to be flat packed and shipped directly to the consumer. Um, and, and I quickly discerned that here's what was happening. Amazon got their 15%. Doesn't matter how my business was operating. I also was giving them, well, actually, in this case, very little money to market because it was already a major established brand. But, you know, there's the marketing aspect. Then, of course, the vendor, the, the furniture manufacturer that I was selling online is getting whatever wholesale margin they want. And in the interim, I'm I'm processing the orders. I'm getting them. I'm getting the shipping set up. I'm the one that's conducting. If there's damage, and you know, if it's even if it's UPS's fault, that doesn't matter. They're contacting us. So suddenly, this my business seemed like it it tripled in terms of, you know, service requirement. And all of a sudden, at at the end of the first sixty days, I kind of looked at my income statement and went. I think I'm actually losing money on this thing. What the hell am I doing? Right? <laughs> Another man bleep moment. So, and then it, and it goes on. There's a lot more to the story, but that's you know that's kind of our uh, some of our experience in the e-commerce side. Hmm. You, you're going to be able to tell that I struggle a little bit with attention deficit as I ask you this now. You <laughs> you mentioned briefly kind of why you wrote the book um, with 
and with the focus being people that have that entrepreneurial spirit. And you wanted to share with them the joys, blessings, and some of the darker sides of being in business for yourself. And that, you know, that's kind of life. That's just the way life works. Yes, it is. But it's a little different for entrepreneurs. And, and I, I want to bring up two different things that I think speak to the nature of being an entrepreneur and then the nature of sometimes how God has a different plan for us. You mentioned in your in the book that someone had suggested that you and Angela take a trip to, uh, I think it was the Bahamas. Oh, yes. And <clears throat> sort of reading it, I'm paraphrase what you said. You you didn't have one moment virtually where you were with your wife in this beautiful setting where you weren't thinking about business, what could go wrong, what if, what if, what if. That's part and parcel of being an entrepreneur because the business is kind of life at, at that at that right. juncture, right? Well, it is, period. Given that, at that time and now today, before your feet hit the floor in the morning, Back then, and then now, two different periods of time. What's the first thing you're thinking of before your feet hit the floor? Oh, it, it's always business. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 You had um, a life-changing moment with one of your sons. Yeah, yeah. An accident. And the reason I bring this up, you beautifully address how your son, who's in the hospital, had been uh, injured. I think he was three at the time. For about a week, if I recall correctly, not one time did you check in on the business. That's correct. Why was that so different? Well, I think you're right. It was not only um, unbelievable. Uh, well, it, it turned out to be a miracle. I, I would start with it. It was a tremendous tragedy. It was an accident, unintentional, but uh, it's miraculous in the sense that he shouldn't have remained with us. And when you're faced with that kind of a moment, um, you know, suddenly proper proper ordering of things come into place and and you know i knew at the end of the day you know suddenly you're in in business you do have some element of control i mean there, there life happens and so there are many things outside of your control that that's nothing new and i don't think i'm revealing anything that people don't know but there are many things that are within your control but in in this moment i had no control it was probably the first time in my life where i experienced that and then I recognized and almost made, you know, I was not, I wasn't an atheist, but at best agnostic. And this is the first time that I kind of seen, I had some harmonic spiritual moments with God. And, and I kind of, you know, promised that, you know, if, 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 you know, I can be spared losing my son, 
or if somebody has to lose their life today, please let it be me. I'd take his place in a heartbeat. And I never really experienced that degree or level of love before in my life, the real sacrificial side of love. And, and, and I just recognize that at this very moment, nothing else happening in life matters, not at all. And if, and if my complete disconnection from it, which this never would have happened, but if, if it forced it to fail, and and I lost everything, I, I would be totally happy with that as long as I had my family. And so that was the first time that right order came into my life. And and I haven't lost that. You know, you asked me the question, what's the first thing that comes up when you open your eyes? It's, now it is business, but but it, it isn't it isn't in a, in, a, in a set of priority above family. You know, family is is always first, but um generally I don't have anything that urgent or pressing in terms of family first thing when I open my eyes and I, yeah. I hope I never have to experience anything like that again but um so uh yeah that that's kind of and so for that week I, I just knew that the only thing that mattered right now was my son and being there for my wife and the rest of my children and all that tragic and and bit of anxiety that I no longer had anxiety for other things yeah. I think it's helpful for folks that listen, there's some context that I, I, I'm going to say probably 30 to 40% of everyone that's working for someone else at some point in time thinks I'd like to be in business for myself. I'd like to be my own boss. I'd like to be able to do this. I'm going to say that's roughly. I've been involved in enterprises enough to know that that's probably the percentage of people that think that um, that's the opportunity for me. Whether they do it or not, it's a completely different thing. When the you know when when your feet hit the floor and you're an entrepreneur, that's why I asked that kind of question. Here's some of the things that are going on in the life of an entrepreneur. Well, first of all, you have your family. You have all those other things that everybody else is doing. Now you have a business. You have responsibilities for employees, for customers, uh, bankers. Um, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And then you deal with all of those um, competitive environment uh, issues that when you were an employee, you didn't have to really worry about it too much. But now as the person that's uh, captaining the ship, if you will, you have to think about those all the time. Because yep. at any given moment, they could be a significant um, impediment to your success and or you see a great opportunity in what your competition is doing. So you're uh, 24-7, you have these responsibilities. Uh, and so I, I like the way, by the way, that and then we'll move on to something else. I just like the way that in the book you addressed the what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And most entrepreneurs are like that 24-7. They're thinking about these are the responsibilities I have. These are people I owe money to. These are the employees. I'm, I, I'm you know, I'm giving uh, them an opportunity to uh, improve their life. And then when there's something really important. Business is important more and something really important. Family happens. Um, that's where the focus has to be. So I, I appreciate how you how you did that, Rob. 
I want to start shifting gears to where the focus today, uh, because it's been an interesting journey. And again, you you capsulize it so well in 31 chapters and again, 157 pages, I think. How you were, you, you pivot a lot because the market dictated this is where I need to go. Where are you today with regards to one time? electronics, repair, floor coverings, mattresses. Where are you today in uh, your company? The focus and where where do you think you're going to be be heading over the next year to five years? That's an interesting question. So the the book leaves off is, is, um, you know, I'll talk a bit about we, we, we got into the wholesale and manufacturing side of the mattress industry. And what kind of spurred that was, you know, my last uh, conversation in retail we were having was getting on the e-commerce platform. And I saw all the potential. And at that time, this would have been probably back in 2014, 15, I, I recognized uh, the explosion of the so-called bed in the box industry. Um, and I was surprised, well, not only in the uniqueness of the ability to roll pack a, a mattress, but I was surprised on how well received it was on the e-commerce platform. So we were excited to try and explore in into selling mattress products on Amazon. But just like I experienced with the other major brand, it, it was going to be the same scenario. If you were just selling a brand on Amazon that could be roll packed, everybody would just race to the bottom. Nobody would make any money. And then the thing I started to really analyze in the marketplace is that almost all of the products were junk. They were just inferior. And when we started to explore that, hey, maybe we should just build and design our own brand, I reached out to, to a lot of the major players in the industry at the time and quickly discovered that about 90% of the bed in the box industry early on anyway, was produced by the same two manufacturers out of China. And and I'm sure you might've remembered some of the news, but there was a lot of, you know, they have no indoor air quality control regulation in that country. So there's a lot of off-gassing issues. Uh, it was all just cheap foam components. Basically it, in a lot of cases, it wasn't much more than a glorified camper mattress rolled up, shoved in a box. And th- that's not gonna serve you or I well for quality sleep. Not, not a problem for a, a youth, an infant or a guest bed maybe. But, um, and so I said, well, th- that's not good. And, and I, I, I wanted to create not just a brand, but something, uh, a mattress brand that was really focused on health, wellness, uh, uniqueness, and taking all the years of retail and wholesale experience we had and say, okay, these components work, these do not. And, you know, I think the, the best analogy I could give is that, you know, most of the industry, we're all using the same ingredients, so to speak, but it's all about the recipe and how you put it together in terms of performance and comfort and, and all of those things. So um, that was another one of those that I think I woke up at 2.30 in the morning with this epiphany, yeah, I'm going to build my own mattress brand. And and so that's that's how that started. And um, and we started exclusively as an e-commerce company. Um, we just had one series and three furnaces, which was also at the time very unique. A lot of the uh, major brands that people would recognize right off the bat generally just had a model 
And, you know, and in, in something like personalized comfort, one size isn't going to fit all. So that was another, you know, kind of business model disruption that we came up with was at least we'd offer a firm and a plush and a luxury plush with the same tech, technology and, and support levels. Um, and we had some success there. And then you mentioned, I, you know, I'll ramble a little bit here just to complete the story. But you mentioned the foreword from uh, Kevin Harrington, the original shark from Shark Tank. A lot of people confuse him with O'Leary. This is the first Kevin, not the, the popular Kevin today. Um, but their company had reached out to us because they're always researching trademarks and patent ideas that are going on. And, and so they reached out to us and wanted to uh, possibly collaborate with a celebrity endorsement of our product. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, this is no insult to Kevin at the time. I don't watch a lot of television, so I didn't know who the hell Kevin Harrington was, you know, so <laughs> it really didn't have a lot of weight, but I did know what Shark Tank was, right? And so that intrigued me. And the more and more, and we've all been down the block, you know, I got solicited by a telephone call. So I'm like, this has got to be nonsense and it can't be real. And you know, all my skepticism kicks in and I'm trying to vet every possible pitfall that's on the horizon here. And uh, but I continue to move up the ladder in contact uh, with his team. And and he also uh, supports, I think it's twice a year, what he calls his uh, innovators think tank. And I was invited to that. But of course, that would be another cost. I'm like, okay, here we go. They're looking for more money, right? Uh, but we met as a team. And then uh, very surprisingly, my wife was the one who was supporting. I was against this. My wife and my sons were in support of it. And my wife is the most conservative person you're going to meet. And so when she thought we should take a swing at it, I thought, well, maybe there's something more going on here than meets the eye. So long story short, I get down to Florida where this uh, event is held. I meet Kevin. We have a, you know, a very short time to get to know each other. But in the meantime, he's just returning uh, and from a now, today, a very successful uh, enterprise launch in India and brings with him one of his partners uh, that we get to know down there as well. And so this begins this new you know, chain, uh, chain and train of thought of launching our brand internationally. And at the, at the same time, though we're having success selling our products on Amazon, here comes the marketing element I was talking about earlier. As an unknown brand, if you're going to try and, you know, bust through the rest of this convoluted now marketplace in terms of mattress branding, because now everybody in the brother's dog is making their own brand, but it's just, again, a label, same product, different label, right? Nothing unique about their product. Um, it took a lot of money to advertise. So though we were doing some significant volume and we sold mattresses to every state in the union, which was very exciting for us, uh, the profit that we'd make was completely spent on marketing the, the mattress. So again, you know, net zero, right? And that's not a very good business model. Well, through all these other <clears throat> connections and kind of, uh, uh, wholesale, you know, potentials, we decided that we'd want to set up uh, a couple of trial centers. So our first venture was uh, establishing a wholesale uh, showroom at the World Market Center in Las Vegas, which is where the uh, twice a year, the major world furniture market takes place. So that was exciting, but expensive. And, uh, you know, um, we didn't have a lot of success on the wholesale side there. And then uh, um, Haresh, this gentleman that was trying to get us established in India, he actually flew to North Dakota, actually came to Harvey of all places and, and kind of uh, came up with this concept that we should possibly open a standalone sleep shop 
And then the idea was to build that as our first corporate example, store location example, and then try to franchise the concept because he knew individuals in the United States that were interested in uh, possibly becoming franchisees. And I did like the idea because that's that was the shift now from everybody, every major competitor. Now, the name brands everybody would recognize were having such poor success online because their product was poor and inferior. They were getting a lot of returns. Uh, we weren't. We were very proud of that fact. Less than 2% of our sales were ever questioned or returned, where a lot of the major brands that you would be familiar with were some of those guys were in the 60 percentile range. Well, you can't make money doing that nice. either. So they came up, you know, everybody started building what we would call trial centers and or or partnering again, like I'll use Purple as an example. Now they're really working hard on getting into all kinds of retail outlets, uh, specifically mattress firm, but they're all over the place. And so they're acting more like a wholesale uh, dist distribution network. So um, so I thought, okay, this would be a good idea. And so it was uh, then about a year and a half, we opened our first standalone sleep shop in Fargo, North Dakota. And um, that company, of course, the company and the trademark brand name is Accord Comfort Sleep Systems. And the reason you might wonder, well, that seems pretty generic, is because since then we've also developed, now we have over 13 distinct uh, and unique SKUs of different mattresses and designs and patent pending technologies. Our, our fabric that we use on most of our mattresses is proprietary. It's, a, it's got the same technology that NASA uses in their spacesuits to help regulate body climate. We've expanded into our own bases, our own pillows, our own linens so we have the full sleep package and and our and have a hand in again every product we have we are the brand we're not selling you know serta or tempurpedic it the the products that we sell are ours and they're exclusively found only from us so oh. that's what really distinguishes us uh, uh differently from any other mattress retailer in the marketplace I had to go back to two things. Sure. First of all, <clears throat> you gave credit to the first person you hired when you mm -hmm. talked about your lovely bride, Angela, and being supportive of an idea you, you were kind of questioning. So congratulations on hiring someone smarter than you that gave, and giving her credit now, by the way. Yes. yes. So I, I do remember certain things about the book, that she was the first person you hired. But you said something that almost kind of stunning to me, that at one time, and maybe it's the same now, I don't know, but when you when you got involved in the mattress business, I think you said 90% of all mattresses at one time, maybe still the same, but at one time, manufactured in one place, China. And it didn't matter who, what, what flag was on it or what label was on it. They were all made in this pretty much the same place. So it's identical, other than the label yes. on so I here's something to, I'm so 
Go ahead. My, I do want to distinguish. This was for the bed in the box industry, not the whole of the mattress industry. Okay, got you. Thank yeah. you. <clears throat> well, this is intriguing to me because, and as I shared with you, I have n- never been consistently a good sleeper. I, I've always had disruptive sleeps. And just awful sleeping pattern. Don't sleep the number of hours. You know, ideally, you should get eight hours of good sleep. I don't. And it's been like that pretty much my whole life. And I bring this up, not for someone to have pity on me. It's just that um, that's a health concern, especially the older you get. Not getting a good night's sleep isn't healthy. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious based on your experience, how much different could my sleep experience be with the right kind of mattress? And I know that's a big question because you don't know much about me, but kind of walk me through that so I get a better understanding of maybe something I could do to improve my health situation. Yeah, well, now you're you're triggering the old salesman in me. So when I come and visit you in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll be writing an order, not just teasing. Okay. So, no, I think at the first step, and again, that's what makes us uh, very unique is that we, we kind of establish ourselves as sleep experts. So the first thing we would figure out is how you sleep or how you prefer to sleep. And again, when when we've designed, when it, traditionally, if you would have came even into our retail store before we started our own mattress company, obviously in our Harvey location, we only sell our brand and, and obviously same thing in Fargo, but we would have generally had two or three major name brands. And what you would find is each brand would generally put about 12 SKUs on your floor but then what would happen is you'd so you might have 36 mattresses to choose from, but you basically just have three sets of identical 12 with different labels on it again. That was one of the things that frustrated us is that there was nothing unique or distinguishable about this brand to that brand, right? So that <clears throat> so though we only have 13 specific SKUs on our floor to choose from, every one is designed and feels different very distinguishedly different and they all do different things depending on what your wants and needs are so we have omni constructed models that have zero coil springs but they're not just simply memory foam uh, like when our copper rest sleep series which uses a copper infused uh, latex which is unique most people will, might have copper products but they're generally in foam not latex and latex is a superior component in terms of support and longevity and then in our platinum model, uh, we have uh, seven different distinguished layers in that mattress, each component doing a specific thing in terms of spinal alignment, body comfort, cooling effects. So, uh, uh, you know, and then we'd also have hybrids, which are independent uh, coil springs that are helix style to, you know, a lot of people don't care about the the technology side, but the point is, is that they'll contour to each person individually, but yet offer equal support, not generate pressure points. And again, and then on top of that, we have different body comfort layers. We're also very unique in the marketplace. We have a series called our Duo series, which part of it was originally designed. That's actually in the book. The first model was a hybrid uh, of my two youngest sons 
uh, designs on a sketch pad and we offered a two-sided mattress. One side was firm, one side was plush. That was designed for the e-commerce business in case you had you know, uh, a little bit of buyer anxiety. I don't know if I want firm or plush, you got both. But since then, we've developed hybrid models that are two-sided. They're equally the same firmness. But back in the old days, mattresses were all two-sided. Today, they're all single-sided. So we have uh, flippable mattresses that our competitors don't have. We also make uh, two different firmnesses almost in every series that are the same profile. So a lot of people use uh, like on adjustable bases. You'll get a two twin XLs, which makes a king-size mattress. But, but of course, each person in the couple can adjust their elevation, you know, uniquely. And then what we've done then is we've built a firm and a plush in every model with the same profile. So you could have a his and hers, and but yet the bed is not two different kinds of mattresses. So, so again, that, you know, we just, we would just have something for everybody. And one of our most popular things in the series is our dual pillow, which we have one side is fleeced, so it has a warming effect. And then the other side uses the Thermodyne technology. It's a cooling side. And not just for a gimmicky you know, 60 or 120 seconds, but all night long. And that has been probably our most successful product in Fargo. People just love that pillow. Mm-hmm. And, and we can provide, you know, we have protectors and weighted blankets for people that might suffer with some anxiety. So again, just everything we do is focused on health and wellness and quality of sleep because we spend one third of our lives, or except for you, if you're only there four hours, but we spend one third of our lives in bed and you need to invest in that, uh, that quality sleep time. It's it's critically important. I, yeah. um, I can personally attest to the importance of a, a of a good night's sleep. How often should we be changing our mattresses? Okay, you know, everything wears out. How how often should we be thinking about that? Well, we don't do it as often as we should. Unfortunately, I think the average, like even in the state of North Dakota is significant. You know, I think we're talking about a 14-year average turnaround, which is way too long. The industry suggests seven, but that's, of course, from the mattress industry. So they're probably looking for higher turnover. But that's another thing that's unique about us. We don't have anything that's guaranteed for less than 10 years in our product lineup. And those are non-prorated warranties, by the way. Uh, they're not, you know, in year seven, you only get 30% of the value of the mattress. There's a lot of different uh, challenges out there that, again, from our retail experience, um, we were frustrated with a lot of the major brands because they wouldn't stand behind their product. And yet, as a service-minded you know, retailer, I would, if I wasn't going to accept the condition of your mattress and I wouldn't sleep on it, I wouldn't expect you to. So even if the manufacturer didn't cover the warranty, we were doing it out of our own pocket. And again, another igniter for why we got into the wholesale Mm -hmm. and manufacturing side is we just needed to build something that was better. So to answer your question, I would say every 10 years would be a good time to start looking. Rod, in your book, you make reference to there is no magic wand and yeah. it's, it's with regards to w- what it takes to uh be successful uh, whether it's in your personal life or business life or there's just no magic wand but now i'm going to ask you a magic wand question okay. if you had one you could wave over the heads of everybody but particularly people that might be like me 
they they don't sleep well, or it's time for a new mattress. Why should those people stop into Accord Comfort Sleep in Fargo, North Dakota? Well, because your your life will improve. So that a quality of sleep is quality of life. There's no question about it. There's nothing better you could do, not only for your physical health, but especially, I think it affects much more your mental health. Uh, just being rested and the right amount of rest, not tossing and turning and lack of REM sleep, but good quality sleep support. You know, I, I, I'm biased, of course, because I own the company, but I sleep on the first copper rest prototype we ever built. You know, and that was now almost six years ago. It's like the day we bought it, and it's the most comfortable mattress. I have, I have a few different play residences as well, so I have I have a different model in each one. Um, it's kind of my way of A/B testing the the products, but um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't I don't think we have a bad product. It's just you know we've got something for everybody, and the magic wand is do something. You know, I actually do this in a lot of my radio marketing is do something good for yourself and buy a better mattress. And just quit. Don't. What are you waiting for? Let's let's get it done. Last two questions. Tell me a little bit about Leo Rutten. Ah, yeah, my father-in-law. Well, um, so you probably know we, we did start uh, a nonprofit foundation in his name. Uh, you know, we've we haven't been as active in uh, the charitable side of that as we'd like to, as we've been so distracted with these other uh, ventures that we've been part of. But uh, he was uh, also just a tremendously good influence on me. Um, one of the kind of guys that um, I don't know how to put it. He he had everything in terms of family and, and what he would want. But from you know what we would generally on the outside looking in measure success, you know, he didn't have a lot of. Uh, major possessions or, or or anything like that, but he was one of the happiest guys I ever knew, and he would give himself away anytime anybody needed it, whether he was volunteering for scouts or uh, later in his life, you know, helping people get to cancer treatments and uh, picking up groceries, volunteering for church events, and so um, it was a big part of my um, eventual journey to my faith was being able to witness not only him, but his wife, Ruth, uh, and, and just that family element where I don't know how to explain it. There was just a sense of peace and joy that I hadn't experienced in, in, uh, you know, in my lifetime. And, and I, I definitely wanted something like that. And so, um, I don't know, I, I miss, he's gone. You know, he passed away from cancer, but I and I miss him every day. We we talk about him every day. There's so many things that remind him of uh, uh, remind us of him. But um, he was just one of the most remarkable guys I knew, and uh, and it wasn't uh, from words; it was from actions. Hmm. Yeah, there's something about people that live their lives others centered. That, in my opinion probably impact us more than anybody else right because it, it, their heart led their lives and the world's a better place because of them so thanks for honoring him by the way with the foundation drummer who was your favorite drummer other than you yeah <laughs> that's a tough one that it really is um 
I, I, I don't know if I can, that gets, you know, that gets brought up that and, and, and guitar players as well. And I just think that there are so many, uh, remarkable drummers in so many different genres that you would almost have to dive down further into genre style. You know, there's so many great jazz drummers I love, but you know, rock and roll, you got to go with Neil Peart, Alex Van Halen. Um, you know, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know if I have one. That's a tough, that's a tough question to ask. That's the right answer. I think Yeah, because they're, they all influenced you. By the way, I had a guy on recently who owns a company in Moorhead called Drummer's Journey. Okay. Originally from Jamestown. I think he might have even worked in Marguerite's. Now that's okay. You may yeah. be too young to remember. No, that. no. I made purchases there. Okay. Yeah. So he has this next time you're here, you have to go to Michael Carbone. That's his name. He's okay. a drummer. He's, he has a great blues band. You have got to go to Drummer's Journey. I guarantee you, you'll spend at least an hour in that store. <laughs> it's huge. It's, any drummer that walks in that place will be like when you were an eight-year-old kid and you walked into the candy store back in the days where they had all the candies in jars. Right, right. You, you were mesmerized, right? That's what this place is like. You You owe it to yourself to go to that place. Rod, what's the last thing we should know about you and your company and where you're going? Well, I think um, there's a lot of uh, exciting things. Not only, you know, the first thing that I always want to remark about is, uh, you know, we've been in business now. This is our 43rd year as a family business. Uh, obviously, we couldn't do that without customers. So, you know, we've, we've got so many customers that have been lifelong. I've known them since I've been eight. You know, uh, so that's just unbelievable. And it's such that's a one of the, I think, beautiful parts of entrepreneurship and, and just being in business is those relationships. Second, obviously, uh, this place doesn't run on me alone. Uh, so we have so many good people that have invested their time, their effort. They continually grow and and become better versions of themselves. I hope I have an influence on that. But, you know, it starts with personal drive. We always talk about uh, developing personal excellence before we can develop professional excellence, because if those two value systems aren't aligned, you can't you can't fake it right so uh you know and then obviously my wife has been a big part um there are many days i question why the hell she's still with me uh but uh there she is working her tail off sometimes i feel like even harder than i do uh she may not have all the mental fatigue i have but she's out there in the front end taking care of things all the time we've got a lot of exciting uh, um, expansion coming up. I can't, we will hopefully have a formal press release in the next 30 days, but we are definitely working on a hospitality launch uh, in our mattress company. Uh, we, we've got some test hotels out there already, so we're very excited to do that. That could be a huge thing for us nationally and internationally. I'm still in contact, uh, different people now, uh, I think much more serious people now in India and uh, also looking at markets like South Korea and Japan. And so a lot of things over in the Asia side of the globe. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, oh, and I never really ever got to, when you asked about what would be the magic wand to get you to purchase a mattress from us, it's gotta be our slogan. You're gonna love sleeping with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, we just drive every day, you know, trying to, 
part of our corporate slogan too at the end is, you know, we just got to leave the world a better place than we found it and be remarkable today. If people want to check you out virtually, what's the best place to go to do that? Ironically, I, I would say we have a corporate website called MarshawnRetailGroup.com. And underneath of that, then, will be all of our different enterprises. So then you can link to whether it's the mattress company, the retail side, the nonprofit foundation. You can order a book from my author page. So that's a good one to get just a, a general overview. But AccordSleep.com is the mattress company. Uh, and we're on 13th Avenue in Fargo, North Dakota. We always stay directly across from Olive Garden. And then, uh, and of course, shoptomsonline.com is our flagship retail store in downtown Harvey. We're excited that we now own about a half of a block. So it's a 20,000 square foot facility. Uh, very uh, proud of all the expansions we've made over the years. And uh, yeah, and bottom line is if you Google anything, you'll find us. Rod, thanks so much for taking Very few people are busier than entrepreneurs, especially those that are in the constant growth and exploration and launch mode, which you are. By the way, it sounds to me like maybe we should have a follow-up kind of interview when you have an announcement that you'd like to share. I'd be more than happy to bring you back on and talk about that phase as well, if you'd be willing to join me. I'd love it. I appreciate the time today. Thank you so much, Rod. It was really a pleasure uh, visiting with you. Enjoyed the book. Um, It was a page turner for me. You're, you're just, you're, you're real. I really appreciated how you shared some really personal and important information, not just about the life of an entrepreneur, but life in general. Yeah. I learned a lot about you and your family, your kids, your wife, uh, your your parents. Uh, appreciate you writing the book. You have a great day. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to join me, Rod. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.